Hi, everyone. I'm Jeff Hunt, and this is Human Capital, a Goalspan podcast. On the Human Capital podcast, I interview top business thought leaders to uncover the deeply human aspect of work. Today, we're going to talk about a topic more business leaders should be paying attention to. A crisis of long-term unemployment is looming in the U.S., and as of this podcast recording, more than 4 million people or 40% of the total unemployed workforce cannot find work even after looking for six months or more. In many spaces, it feels like the economy is roaring back, but other than the Great Recession, this statistic has not been seen in the U.S. in over 60 years. My guest on the show today is Lauren Greif, who not only has a deep knowledge of the LTU or long-term unemployed and also ageism, but also has 30 years experience in consulting, recruiting, marketing, innovative career coaching. And she founded Portfolio Rocket a year and a half ago with a mission to empower creatives and marketers to love their work, to be valued, and to be well paid for it. She can speak to both business leaders and candidates about how to overcome some of the biggest challenges they face as we emerge from the pandemic. Also, Lauren posts some very valuable thought leadership content on LinkedIn, where she has about 12,000 followers. Welcome, Lauren. Well, thank you, Jeff. I am so happy to be here. And the name of your podcast, Human Capital, it just it, it like shines and rings such a loud message. And I can't wait to get into it and explain how and why that is. Oh, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> we gave a lot of thought to the name. So I'm glad it resonates. And, and I, like I said in the intro, I am, I'm really excited to have you on the show for multiple reasons. Um, and I want to dive into all of those. But before we do, take me back to the beginning of your career and share with me what person or thing inspired you to get into the recruiting space by the way, specifically for digital creatives, which is such a unique market, and then ultimately start your own business. So thank you for that. Um, the inspiration that got me into this was really all about creatives and marketers and giving voice and value to the transformative impact that they make today across the most innovative brands and companies. So for over 30 years, I've lived in this industry from the inside out, in the trenches, um, watching this breed of talent, you know, confront their fears and frustration about how to uncover what's best and next for them far outside of a J-O-B. How do I navigate these waters? And out of those leadership experiences came a very simple mission to make this tough time easier, <laughs> more effective and efficient. So I designed my program first and foremost to be fun. Um, I don't know a lot of creatives or marketers that don't like to have fun. And I think that they resist that search if it's not fun, but it also is a repeatable framework delivering consistent results. So those two things work in tandem. In that opportunity is, is a completely different paradigm shift for them to be found in the marketplace 
rather than for them to be spending a lot of time hunting that out for themselves. In the intro, we were talking about long-term unemployment or LTU. And I want to spend some time with you just kicking this around because if you look at coming off of the pandemic, the statistics are kind of mind-blowing. The, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, just so people know, they define long-term unemployment as being without work for 27 weeks or six months or longer while they're actively looking for a job. And so if you if you go back to the Great Recession, LTU steadily declined to a rate of 0.64%. And that so that was after the Great Recession, um, all the way up through April of 2020. So April of 2020, we're at 0.64%. But since the pandemic, the statistic has ballooned up to 2.6%. And so that's as of April 2021. So that's just to kind of give people a sense of how many people are struggling in this area. And so one of the things I'd love to hear your thoughts on is how can employers be part of the solution to bringing these long-term unemployment rates down? I mean, this is this is a real hornet's nest, right? It has a lot of different elements to it. And let's face it, the ultimate solution for eradicating the stigmas around long-term unemployment is a long game. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, and I've been, you know, really hearing different methodologies that are um, holding C-suite level and throughout the company more accountable for being able to make those, those hires. But in the meantime, you know, the, the employers are, there's a, a growing population at this point, at least 20 out of the, 40, uh, the Fortune 50 that are committed to this, not just because it's the right thing to do, and this is important because hiring long-term unemployed are make good business sense. Um, and that's really for three major reasons. Um, they're well-qualified. They come with tremendous life experiences. And what's interesting about this is that it's not necessarily that, they're, that they are not qualified, it's that they're under-accessed. So they're in many cases just removed from the process altogether. And we're gonna talk about that. But the other reason why it makes good business sense is because hiring those who are long-term unemployed offers higher retention rates. They want to stay, they want to be involved. They want to be part of a reliable and diverse workforce. And there's been plethora of information about the benefits of a diverse workforce. And that does include diversity outside of some of the more um, traditional understandings, whether it be you know, race or gender. So that's really important. But they're also finally less costly to acquire. Um, there are a number of, it's close to 3,000 um, intermediaries that provide American job centers that are publicly funded and non-for-profits who are committed to helping to provide 
this level of access and also to be helping to provide good, good fits for organizations so that they are actively recruiting from that pool. So that's, that's important. The, the most minimum thing that every employer should be doing is removing inappropriate filters, right? The filters and the screening procedures, asking for things like dates, um, you know, last or current employment, those can automatically eliminate anyone who has, you know, the, the standing of LTU. And not only is it wrong, it's illegal. So, you know, that has to be, that has to be on the employer side to really take accountability for that and to make significant strides in being able to address this population. But I also wanna introduce the flip side of this, which I think is, is also equally important. With all that being said, and yes, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, it's messy, it's horrific. The stats are, are not, they're not promising, right? And a lot that we as uh, job coaches or even job seekers or job seekers is to really make that critical shift of applying personal responsibility, right? And that really starts with, you know, your, your headset, your mindset. So, you know, I address this very, like day one with my clients because so much of the time, and they've said, and it's been said many, many times, you know, 80% of your job search is, is, is up here between your ears, right? And so many who've been out of work for a really long time, they, they are smart enough to get around to the upskilling, the classes to supplement where those goals is. They're using that downtime effectively so that they are able to talk about that as part of their overall experience. So they're seeing these opportunities as their solution out. Right, like they, they need a solution. They don't want to be stuck in the problem. So if they don't address it, ideally sooner rather than later, right? Even proactively, if you know that there's a gap, don't let it sit there because it'll, it'll just become bigger. And so addressing that early on proactively is really, really important on the candidate side as well. And it really is beneficial to continuously develop oneself anyway. And it's going to have all sorts of beneficial effects, whether it's emotional effects, building competency, making yourself more attractive to a potential company. Um, and overall, you're going to end up in a better, better place, it sounds like. So... Oh uh, yeah, I mean, really makes sense. You know, they say change or die, and yeah, exactly. Um, and if we are not keeping up with our own relevancy within our careers, then we are susceptible, and so we want to do everything to avoid that, especially early on. Right, but it it sounds like what you're saying is that from the employer standpoint, this pool of candidates is highly qualified. They have typically, they have a deep 
life experiences that they can bring to the workplace that other candidates may not have that bring them a level of wisdom that's going to be very worthwhile. And effectively, they're going to be very loyal. So they may help us bring turnover rates down. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. At this time in particular, we are seeing that there is a lot of um, almost like, you know, the, the floodgates open, people who have been sheltering in jobs are now back out into the marketplace. There's been a lot of transition. And at the same time, companies are dying to hire. They're dying to hire. And so this, as I see it on the part of the employer, is a critical time to start you know, providing this audience a, a, an opportunity to showcase all that they can do. Right. And so this next topic is sort of connected, but talk about under and over qualification, because I think some people, especially in the LTU space, you know, they may have a long career and uh, it might be a storied career. Maybe they've got some incredible experiences, but they continue to be overqualified for specific positions, or at least that's what they're being told. And yet, on the other hand, you have the underqualification uh, world. So what are your thoughts about how to deal with this issue? So this is um, this this one really gets under my skin. Um, just so you know, <laughs> under and over under and overqualified candidates are, for the most part, rejected at the ATS level, right? And so when there's no relationship with a candidate, they are just going by what is essentially on your resume. And just to clarify, Lauren, for lay people, ATS is applicant tracking system, right? So basically what you're saying is that in the very initial stage, they're gonna be weeded out without anyone even possibly knowing, right? You just actually quoted the quote that I was gonna quote, which is um, that 98% of Fortune 500 companies use applicant tracking systems which often weed out 75% of the applications before they reach human eyes, sometimes for irrelevant reasons, like the way your resume is formatted. Wow. So if it's that benign for resume formatting, I can assure you that other, other things that could be indicators that you're not qualified over or under are, are definitely at play. So in order to mitigate this, I'm not sure you're going to be able to avoid it, but in, to mitigate it, you have to actually do some heavy lifting. So before you do anything, anything, you got to know if your skills are matching the roles, if you can drive the results that are required to excel, and even why do you want to work there? Why do you want to work at that company? The answer is not because it's a job right? Because what, what ends up happening, this dynamic happens over and over again. Many job seekers, and especially those who qualify as LTU, become so desperate to run away from where they are that they don't even know where they're running to. And that is, that is so evident to anybody who's hiring. And so- They can just see it in the interview process. Is that right? So like, oh, I mean, it's yeah. such obvious things like, you know, if you're 
if you're interviewing for a company and you know, let's just pretend that they had a, a, a an award-winning app and you didn't use it and you weren't able to talk about it with any kind of depth, they'd be like, hmm, you know, like this person is is not really invested. This person doesn't really like, why should I as an employer hire you when you're not coming and meeting me? where I need to meet you, want me to meet, right? And so, you know, in the, in the recruiting world, we, we call this spray and pray, where you send out, you know, it's no different than spaghetti on the wall. Somewhere, somehow, it's just, you know, it's going to stick. So that's a waste of time. And it's demoralizing. So, you know, with all your precious time and required energy, avoid that. <laughs> at all costs. But once you are crystal clear and have made that decision, yes, I wanna work at that company and I know why, it's about getting in front of decision makers. So this is so vital um, because there is a ton of research about why referred candidates are considered the holy grail. We know that they are birds of a feather. So the likelihood of them actually staying longer at a company and performing very well is significantly higher, like, like four times as high. Um, yes, and we know also that when they have a referred candidate, the process of hiring them speeds up because there's an investment in this person. So that allows the rest of the team to get back to their regular duties and you know also is the ability to make a you know strong hire so that the recruiting team can go and move over to the next one so it's saving bandwidth across across the organization and they're also less expensive to acquire because you're not having both the actual cost of the advertising or the job posting but you also are eliminating a lot of that man hour that is happening behind the scenes where there are often, you know, like Google has three, three million applications a year and less than, less, less than 2% of them actually get hired. Yeah, just do the math. What that means is that 98% are not getting hired, right? <laughs> right. So, you know, it's important as a job seeker to really understand that there is an ROI and you wanna, you wanna really pay attention to that. Um, so, you know, the, the, the biggest thing I want you to take away as far as, you know, over and under qualified is getting to somebody who can essentially be invested in what it is that they know you can do and speak out on your behalf. Um, and you know, that's, that's, the, that's the key. But also uh, just a couple other things I wanted to offer as some things to avoid if you fear that you might be overqualified is by all means, like tailor, tailor the resume so that it is, you know, it is clear and concise. I, I find that so many people don't understand that multi-page resumes 
will will just send off a signal that you've been in the job market for a really long time or been you know out in the workforce for a really long time. So you want to you don't want to do that, and also don't list every degree that you've ever had. Um, you know you really want to make sure that you are thoughtful about thinking about it from the employer side because if they start if they see that they will jump to the assumptions or conclusions that somehow you know you're going to get bored or that your salary is far outside of their range so you know you want to leave off the dates of your education you want to make sure that you're also putting that resume in more of a functional format rather than a chronological one to just less, less is more. Less is more. <laughs> and then finally, for either one over or underqualified, try to get some specifics so you know how to address them. Because in many cases, it might be fixable. Got it. I'm also making the connection between what you shared about networking and how critical it is to get that referral because that essentially can bypass the ATS problem that you described earlier, right? Big time, big time. I mean, referrals, referrals are the back door, right? They are, they are the side door, the back door. And in many, many cases I have seen, and, and, and this, is, this isn't like a dirty little secret, this is public, companies will post those jobs for legal compliance, but in many cases, they have a pre-identified candidate. So you, as the job seeker, are looking and thinking, oh, there's an open role, and I'm just going to go through that. But they have either an internal candidate that they're going to move into that slot and have to open it up, or have somebody who is slotted in via a referral. So, you know, the... The best investment that you can make is in your human capital. I did that intentionally. <laughs> nice. So that, so that you have the compound interest year over year over year over year as your, as your career continues. I'd like you to speak just for a minute about the hidden job market and sort of what that is, why, why the best, it's not always the best talent that is landing jobs. And this I'm guessing is something that you can speak to, not just in the, in the world of creatives and marketers, but in, very, in a very broad sense. Absolutely. So the simplest definition of the hidden job market is positions that are not posted online. So you find out about it before it ever hits daylight or yet to be posted. Right. So again, it's it's positions that are open and available. I mean, you have startup companies and all kinds of small companies that are, you know, moving and scaling. And from one week to another, they may not know what they need. Um, somebody could be out on maternity leave and never come back. Somebody could, you know, just have left the company and you are having coffee with their best friend and find out about it. So there are all, all kinds of ways that you are able to access the hidden job market. But the first and foremost level is, is, through, is, is through relationships, 
right? So it's positions that you are not visible, that, that either are currently open or are coming down the pipeline, which is, comprises about 80% of the inventory. There's a huge, like underneath, if you see an iceberg and you see just the top, all the stuff that's below the waterline, that's considered the hidden job market. So the second part of your question, you know, where's the best talent and why isn't the best talent always landing the job is primarily because even with my clients who are all masters and experts in their field, articulating their value and being able to do it so that it's heard and understood in the eyes and the ears of hiring managers is, is a very difficult exercise, especially knowing that you have a half an hour in, in your first interview, knowing that the rapport building at the beginning and the questions at the end, and that leaves you in the middle for you know two or three different examples. And so you have to be able to articulate the values that matter to them. Specifically, how have you driven revenue? How have you changed a workflow? Where have you made an impact with brand awareness? So importantly to say is that the hidden job market is also, it's going to favor people who are building relationships and able to articulate the how and why of what they can do for you. Most people don't know how to do that. It's not anything that we're ever taught in school. It's not something that, I mean, that, that you know how to do even in the beginning, it takes practice. And it also quite frankly takes, takes support. Um, and I see this over and over again, where I have a one-on-one -on -one program and I also have a group program and the folks in the group program are, I mean, just even by having other people say, wow, I didn't know you did that. That is so cool. I mean, I even had a client not too long ago and he's like a incredible project manager and he worked in the retail space. And I asked him, I said, like, tell me about some of the, some of the stores that you built. And he's like, ah, no, I don't know if I want to do that. And I finally said, no, tell us. And he said, oh, I can't believe you're asking me this because I built these store, these Apple stores in Barcelona and I did this and, and the whole room like erupted. They're like, what? That's amazing. You've <laughs> That's got what people want to hear, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, and it's so interesting because, well, my, my company's in the performance management space. We do, we deal with goals a lot and goal setting is one of the most difficult things to do in an organization. And the, one of the challenges with it is actually articulating the results that are going to occur rather than the activities. And really what you're talking about is the same thing. If you are a highly skilled candidate then speak to the results that you have produced and it's going to make a world of difference. And if you're an employer seeking those candidates, obviously you're going to be looking for that results history from every the time. best candidate. Every single time. And I think that what is, what is so critical about this is that when you, when you are able to articulate it, it is not only a huge confidence booster, 
it increases your compensation exponentially because you can see plain and clear exactly what that is. And so, you know, the goal for networking, just so that we're on the same page with goals, is what I suggest to my clients in order to do this is very simple. Two coffees a day. Two coffees a day. That's one hour. And that is 10 a week, which is 40 new people a month, which if you multiply that by the average number of contacts that each person has, you're well over 200. You're close to a quarter of a million for the end of the year. Surely somebody in there is going to be able to. It comes down to the, the law of numbers, really. Yes, strategic numbers. Yes, yeah, sure. of course, of course. Okay, awesome. Well, let's shift into some lightning round questions. I love these because they help us get to know you a little bit. And my first one for you is, what are you most grateful for? Um, absolutely everything. I mean, truly, absolutely everything. The life that I live, the people that are in it, the business that, that I am enabling others to benefit from and the opportunity to serve. So it's, it's, it's a pretty long list. It sounds like you're a deeply grateful person, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such an example for people. So, and Lauren, what, t- tell us what your most difficult leadership lesson that you've ever learned is, if you can think of one from mm-hmm. your career. I think, I think the most um, difficult leadership lesson I ever learned was that as a leader, it's not always about being liked <laughs> and that it's, it's really, really hard to make tough decisions and, and do the right thing um, can put a lot of internal conflict in, in, within yourself. You know it's the right thing, but you may lose some faith, <laughs> face, ego, um, you know, all of those things can, can certainly get mixed up in what is best for the team and the right thing to do. Such a good piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is one person you would interview if you could, living or not? Mm-hmm. So um, I have a mad love affair with um, art and photographers, and I would probably want to interview uh, Will Wegman, who is photographer that does the wine and Marans because he's a brilliant painter and I love his work. <laughs> nice. Do you have a top book recommendation for our listeners? Yes, I have many book recommendations as well, but one that really is standing out right now was written by Susan Scott and the topic is Fierce Conversations. Ah, I've read that. I love that book. Yes. And I like that book a lot because one of the the phrases in there that I find so powerful is the conversation is the relationship. And I think that that applies um, very, very appropriately to job seekers as well as anybody who is networking. And it fits perfectly with the, the, the best leadership lesson that you've learned over your career as well. So <laughs> what you were just sharing. Uh, well, what is the, if you had to boil it down, Lauren, what's the single biggest takeaway you'd like our listeners to get from this show today? What I'd like them to walk away with is that there is so much worth 
and value that is available in, 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 so many, in so many ways. And if you are struggling to find it for yourself, absolutely reach out to me. If I'm not a, the right fit for you, I'm happy to refer you someplace else, but be in the solution, find a way whatever that is. It may mean putting something on a credit card. It may mean you know, sacrificing and compromising something else, but it's always going to be part of your self-respect and your dignity to be providing for your family and to be able to be a huge contributor to yourself. And how, how can people find you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I have a second address outside of my home address, which is LinkedIn. So please feel free to find me there. I would love to connect. And also you can sign up for my newsletter at PortfolioRocket.com. And it's Lauren Greif and it's G-R-E-I-F-F, right? It is. You got it. Awesome. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff. And thank you listeners out there in human capital land. Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release a new episode of Human Capital on the first and third Tuesday of each month. I would really like to know what you thought of this episode. Send your comments to humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by Goalspan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human, kind.